Genesis chapter 39. Now Joseph had been taken to Egypt. An Egyptian named Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, and the captain of the guard brought him, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, serving the household of his Egyptian master. When the master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favour in his master's sight and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority. From the time that he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. The Lord's blessing was on all he owned in his house and in his fields. He left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. He did not concern himself with anything except for the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. After some time, his master's wife looked longingly at Joseph and said, Sleep with me. But he refused. Look, he said to his master's wife, With me here, my master does not concern him with anything in his house, and he has put all he owns under my authority. No one in this house is greater than I am. He has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. So how could I do such a great evil and sin against God? Although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. Now one day he went into the house to do his work, and none of the household servants were there. She grabbed him by his garment and said, Sleep with me. But leaving his garment in her hand, he escaped and ran outside. When she saw that he had left his garments with her and had run outside, she called the household servants. Look, she said to them, my husband brought a Hebrew man to make fools of us. He came to me so he could sleep with me, and I screamed as loud as I could. When he heard me screaming for help, he left his garment with me and ran outside. She put Joseph's garment beside her until his master came home. Then she told him the same story. The Hebrew slave you brought to us came to make a fool of me, but when I screamed for help, he left his garment with me and ran outside. When his master heard the story his wife told him, these are the things your slave did to me, he was furious and had him thrown into prison where the king's prisoners were confined. So Joseph was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. He granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warden. The warden put all the prisoners who were in prison under Joseph's authority, and he was responsible for everything that was done there. The warden did not bother with anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him, and the Lord made everything he did successful. Second reading is uh, Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit also joins to help us in our weakness, because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches the hearts knows the Spirit's mindset because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. 
And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Jane. We also say thank you to all who helped out last night. Uh, Cows could not happen without your volunteering, your generosity, so thanks for all your hard work. Uh, Tonight we are finishing the series in Genesis. We've got uh, 13 chapters tonight. Are you ready for that? 13 chapters from Genesis 37, right through to chapter 50. Uh, I want to focus really on uh, just one verse, though, because this is really the hinge verse for the whole of these 13 chapters. Uh, Joseph says these amazing words in Genesis chapter 50. And verse 20, it's on the screen for you. Look at these words. Joseph says to his brothers, you planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result. They are extraordinary words. Joseph is face to face with uh, men who have sought to kill him. They've left him for dead. This is 20 years later. And Joseph looks at him and says, look, when you threw me in the pit, you meant to harm me. When you left me for dead, you meant that for evil. But God was in it. God was behind it. God was over it. God was underneath it. God was in control of it. And God planned that for good. You see Joseph's theology? He's saying there's nothing that any human being can do to me that God doesn't know about. There's no hurts, there's no harms, there's no disappointments that God doesn't know about. And God's in it, always. Uh, Not passively, but actively. God is at work in it. God planned it to bring about this present result. Now, I find that statement extraordinary. Especially when you understand the life of the man who said those words. Just to give you a brief overview, uh, Joseph went from uh, in a pit left for dead to a position of power in Potiphar's house. He went to a prison cell and then he became prime minister of Egypt. And as he looks back on his life, the highs and the lows, the injustice, the mistreatment, the hurts, the hearts, he looks back and says, In all situation, in every circumstance, God never left me. God was at work in that. Sure, I ask questions like, why God and where are you, God? I don't like this God, but I do know that God's in it. And God's at work in it. Look at that word for, for good. Not for evil, but for good to bring about this present result. It's an extraordinary statement, isn't it? It's the same as Paul says in Romans eight twenty-eight. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, uh, we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him. In every situation, in every circumstance, God's at work. Uh, when, when Paul says we know in all things, he doesn't just mean intellectually. I think it's really easy to, to know it intellectually, to have your theology right. Of course God's in control of everything. Uh, when Paul says we know in all things, he means we believe, we trust. In the midst of your despair, in the midst of your hurt, 
you trust and you believe that God's at work. I don't know about you, but there are times in my life where I find that really hard to trust. Do you know when you've been really hurt? A friend has betrayed you. You've been slandered. You're going through sickness. Someone's walked out on you. You're in the depths of despair. To really trust and believe that God is behind it, God's in it, God's under it, God's over it, and is at work for good. That is hard, isn't it? It's really hard. But if you really believe that verse, it will change your relationship with God. Let me give you some examples. Imagine that, as you don't imagine, probably some of you face this tomorrow. Uh, you might work for a boss who makes your life utterly, utterly miserable. Monday to Friday, every single week. Uh, you feel marginalized, you feel abused or bullied in some way. And you might be saying, what is God doing here? You see, if you believe this verse, uh, you won't retaliate and you won't seek revenge. You'll stop and you'll go, okay, God, how are you at work in this situation? What are you teaching me? Maybe you are teaching me about Christ-likeness and forgiveness and not retaliating. Maybe you're teaching me about dependency in my prayer life. I, I don't know, God, but, but show me how you're at work in this for good. Uh, maybe in 2015... Uh, somebody will betray you or slander you or you have a relationship breakdown and in, in the midst of your hurt and in the midst of your pain, because the pain is real, isn't it? Let's not minimize the pain, but in the midst of your pain, if you believe this verse, you'll go, okay, God, show me how you're at work in this for good. Maybe at the end of 20, 2015, you'll cling on to Jesus much, much more. Maybe in 2015 you'll be diagnosed with a debilitating illness. The chances are one of us will be in 2015. If you believe this verse, you kind of go, wow, I never expected that, God, but what are you going to do in this event for good? How are you going to use this? You see, rather than looking at yourself and looking at the problem, you look at God and you say, God, I might not like it. I might not understand it. But I know you're at work in this particular situation. You see, God's sovereignty, God's control, God's presence with you. If you believe that, not just intellectually, but if you live by it, it will radically change your relationship with God. Uh, tonight we're looking at the Joseph story. Uh, I actually loved preaching through Genesis. It's just messed up, broken people who are loved by a very gracious God. And tonight we're looking at Joseph and uh, whether from Jason Donovan or Andrew Lloyd Webber or the kids' books, I hope you know the Joseph story. It's a story of a spoiled brat who lived this roller coaster life. But it's really a story about God's sovereignty, God at work in every situation to bring about his good purpose. Let me just summarize where we've got to. In, in Genesis 37, if you remember, uh, Joseph is one of 12 brothers. He's daddy's favorite. 
Daddy gave him this flamboyant colored coat and every time he wore it, his brothers hated him. His brothers hated him because he told lies about them. He's kind of your, your younger brother who dobs you in all the time. His brothers hated him because he had these dreams about all his brothers bowing down to him. And they hated him so much that one day they said, let's kill him. Uh, but Reuben said, let's, let's not kill him. Let's just leave him for dead in a pit. And Judah, who we met last week, said, why don't we sell him as a slave? And it just so happened that these uh, Ishmaelites came by and they sold him as a slave. And, and Judah said, Let, let's dip uh, the colored coat in a goat's blood and tell dad that he's dead. And so the brothers meant to harm him. They shipped him off to Egypt where he spent the next 20 years. And, and as we hear this story, please keep that in mind. This is 20 years of his life. This is not just a moment in his life. I'm sure during, during these 20 years, there's moments where Joseph was on his knees going, I hate this, I don't like this. But 20 years later, you can say those amazing words. You planned evil against me, but God planned it for good. Let's walk through these 13 chapters. Let's, let's look at uh, chapter 39, Potiphar's house. Verse 1, now, now Joseph had been taken to Egypt as a slave. An Egyptian named Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. Verse 2 is really important. The Lord was with Joseph. Look at that verse. God hadn't abandoned him, had he? God was with Joseph. He was protecting him, he was providing for him, he was guarding him, he was watching over him. And so Joseph became a successful man, serving in the household of the Egyptian master. And when Potiphar saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor in his master's sight and became his personal attendant. You see, the brothers did mean to harm him, didn't they? They left him for dead. But God meant it for good to take his man down to Egypt and to place Joseph, not as a slave in a field, but as a, as a slave in a house. He's given authority. He's God's man ruling over a pagan household, and he wants for nothing. So God's at work for good. At verse 6, we're told that Joseph was a bit of a hunk, a well-built and a handsome man, and Mrs. Potiphar is a desperate housewife. And after some time, his master's wife looked longly at Joseph and said, Sleep with me. Come to bed with me. And that she means to harm him. How's God going to be at work in this situation? As you read this chapter, you see that, that Joseph is a man of integrity, a man of godliness. Day after day after day, she throws himself, herself at him. And look what he says in verse 9. He says, no, no one in this house is greater than I am. And my master has held, withheld nothing from me except you, because you're his wife. This is wrong. How could I do such a great evil and sin against my God? Oh, she's persistent, and day after day after day, the daily temptation to, to sleep with this woman. She's scheming. Down in verse 11, there's one day where the household servants have gone out and she grabs Joseph by his garment and says, sleep with me. Now Joseph does what every man, every godly man should do. 
flees temptation, has nothing to do with it. He just runs. But she's got another plan in verse 13. As she schemes, she lies. She says, look, my servant, so my husband brought a Hebrew man, a, a racist man, to make fools of us. I'm the victim. He came to me and he wanted to sleep with me, but I screamed. I'm innocent, she says. She's so manipulative. And when her husband comes home, she tells the same story. So she meant to harm him. What's God going to do? It's interesting in verse 19, God works through Potiphar. Because if, if she did, so if he did plan to rape her, that he deserved death. But I don't think that Potiphar really believes his wife. Oh, he's angry, but he doesn't kill Joseph, he just throws him into prison. But how's that good, you say? How's that good for Joseph? He's, he's gone from being in charge of a house to being in a prison cell. Surely God's left him. God's forgotten him. Let's go to the prison cell. Verse 21. See this verse again? But the Lord was, do you want to read it to me? The Lord was with Joseph. God never forgets his people. And God extends kindness again. And, and this time Joseph is made uh, top dog in the prison. And again, just like in Potiphar's house, everything is under Joseph's authority. And God is going to work in prison through these really two strange guys. You've got a, a cupbearer and you've got a baker. Do you remember that story? They, they both have these strange dreams. And the, the cupbearer dreams about this vine that produces three branches. And it blossoms and it buds and produces fruit. And, and Joseph is able to interpret the dream through God. And he says, this is good news. In three days' time, you're going to be released and you're going to go back to Pharaoh's house. You're going to serve the wine again. But look what he says in chapter 40, verse 15. When all goes well for you, remember it, that I was with you. Please show kindness to me by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. Keep that verse in the back of your mind. And the baker hears the positive interpretation. He thinks, oh, well, here's my dream. I dreamt of uh, 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 three baskets on my head with birds plucking at the, the bread. What does that mean? And Joseph looks at the baker and says, I'm sorry, but in three days' time you're going to be hanged and birds will eat your rotting flesh. And God keeps his promises. The dreams happen. But look at the end of the chapter, verse 23. Uh, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. I hope you know, friends, that God does not forget his people. Uh, people might forget you, but God never does. This was God's plan. God is still at work in this situation for good. Sure, Joseph stays in prison for two more years, but that was always God's plan, and God was still working out his good. Two years later, chapter 41, and uh, Pharaoh is now dreaming. Isn't it bizarre in Genesis how many times people are dreaming? Uh, this time, Pharaoh has his weird dreams. You've got two dreams. You've got 
And the first one is seven fat cows and seven thin cows, and the thin cows eat the fat cows. The second dream is seven plump heads of corn and seven thin heads of corn, and the thin heads of corn eat the fat heads of corn. And Pharaoh is disturbed and says, "Uh, who can interpret my dream? Now the cupbearer just so happened to remember Joseph. And so verse 14, Pharaoh sent for Joseph. They quickly brought him from the dungeon. He shaved, changed his clothes and went to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream. No one can interpret it. I've heard it. You can. Look at, look at Joseph's answer in verse 16. He says, no, I'm not able to. But it's God who will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. You see how even in the pits of despair, Joseph sort of says, my God is there. He hasn't forgotten me. And so Joseph interprets the dream and tells Pharaoh that there's going to be seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. So make sure you store during the plenty so you've got food for the famine. And it's amazing. Uh, down in verse 33, chapter 41, uh, Joseph says, now, now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and a wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let, him, let Pharaoh do this. Let him appoint overseers over the land and take a fifth of the harvest of the land of Egypt during the seven years' abundance. Now, I wonder who Pharaoh is going to choose to be prime minister in his land. Who's the wise and intelligent man? There must be a truckload of people he could choose. Who does he choose? Verse 38. Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find anyone like this, a a man who has God's spirit in him? This is a pagan talking. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there's no one as intelligent and as wise as you are. You will be over my house. And all my people obey your commands. Only with regard to the throne will I be greater than you. It's extraordinary. At the age of 30, Joseph finds himself second in command of Egypt. Can you imagine your biography? Uh, When I was 17, my brothers hated me, so they left me in a pit to die. And uh, when I was 19, I was in charge of this this Potiphar's house. I wanted for nothing. But then God took me to, to jail for a few years. Uh, and now I'm Prime Minister of Egypt, all by the age of 30. <laughs> it's a pretty roller coaster life, isn't it? Do you, do you find that sometimes you can only see God's hand in hindsight? Do you ever find that? When you're in the situation, you cannot see what God is doing. But in hindsight, you can. Think about Joseph's life. If the brothers had not sold him as a slave, he would never have ended up in Egypt. If he'd never ended up in Egypt, he would never have served in Potiphar's house. If Mrs. Potiphar hadn't been a desperate housewife, he would never have ended up in jail. If he hadn't gone to jail, he would never have met the cupbearer. If he'd never met the cupbearer, he would never have been prime minister of Egypt. And surely you look back in your life and you're going, oh wow, that's what God was doing. That's why God brought that person into my life. I hadn't planned that, but God had. And you've got to trust this. What's the verse again? In all things, God is at work for the good of those who love him. Not in some things, but all things. 
Not some of the time, but all of the time. God is always with us. God knows the end game. God knows where we are heading. God knows what 2015 will bring for you. I don't, you don't. And whatever he takes you through, he's at work in that situation for good. He knows the people, the players, the journeys, the highs, the lows. He'll take you through. And he'll be with you every step of the way. So here's Joseph, Prime Minister of Egypt. And they all live happily ever after. Is that how it ends? The problem is that Joseph is still estranged from his brothers. Jacob still thinks his son is dead. And the sons of Jacob are now starving to death. And what about Joseph's faith? Uh, For 20 years he lives in Egypt. He he marries an Egyptian woman. He has Egyptian kids. He names them Egyptian names. He lives in an Egyptian palace. He dresses like an Egyptian. He eats like an Egyptian. He walks like an Egyptian. He talks like an Egyptian. Surely he's going to convert. Surely he's going to stop following his God, Yahweh. And there's one more problem. Remember those first two dreams way back in chapter 37? They haven't been fulfilled yet. The brothers have not bowed down to him. Is God going to break his promises? Chapters 42 to 47 are extraordinary pieces of literature. Uh, The brothers come back and forth to Egypt. Uh, Joseph wants to see Benjamin And so they persuade Jacob to let Benjamin come. But flick over to chapter 45, extraordinary chapter. Up until this point, the brothers do not know who Joseph is. I'm going to read verses 1 to 8. See Joseph's theology in these verses. Joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of all his attendants. So he called out, send everyone away from me. No one was with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers. But he wept so loudly the Egyptians heard it and also Pharaoh's household heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. I'm your brother. Is my father still living? But they couldn't answer him because they were terrified in his presence. What are they terrified about? Revenge? Now, they've left him for dead. Surely he wants to get his own back. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. And they came near. I'm Joseph, your brother, he said, the one you sold into Egypt. But don't be worried or angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there'll be five more years without plowing or harvesting. But God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Therefore, it wasn't you who sent me here, but God. Remember that day when you left me for dead? That that was God's plan. Uh, That day when you sold me as a slave? That was God sending me here. Those 20 years you've forgotten about me, well, God's been with me. And God has made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Isn't that extraordinary? Get his theology? It's okay, brothers. Yeah, yeah, you meant to harm me, but God was in that. 
as a moment of amazing reconciliation as Jacob sees his son again and Jacob meets his grandsons. And then Jacob dies. And flick over to chapter 50. The end of, the, end of, the, um, of Genesis. Chapter 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said to one another, if Joseph is holding a grudge against us, surely he can't uh, be this forgiving. Surely he wants revenge. Surely he must be bitter. If he's holding a grudge against us, he will certainly repay us for all the suffering we caused him. Now now daddy's dead, he's going to get revenge. So they sent a message to Joseph. Before he died, your father gave a command saying, Say this to Joseph, please forgive your brother's transgression and their sins, the suffering they caused you. Therefore, please forgive the transgression of your servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when the message came to him. Then his brothers also came to him, bowed down before him and said, we are now your slaves. But Joseph said to them, it's amazing, Christ-like answer, Don't be afraid. Am I in God's place? Who am I to judge you? You planned evil against me, but God planned it for good, to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. That's why we're here. Therefore, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Let me give you three things about this verse. If you understand this verse, it will help you to forgive other people. God brings peace through this theology. Uh, Joseph is an incredibly forgiving man. He holds no grudges. He seeks no revenge. There's no bitterness. He's a walking example of grace. How would you feel if you were face to face with the the person who has caused you the most hurt in your life? Angry? Revengeful? But if your theology is, God's been at work in this situation, I don't know how, but God was with me in it. It does help you to forgive. I'm not being naive here. Of course there's hurts. Of course it's hard to forget things. But that beautiful Christ-like quality of forgiveness, it flows from your, your doctrine of God's sovereignty. And I hope you've learned that lesson. In Christ we are forgiven and we're called to forgive others people. And I'm aware here in church, there'll be people here who have wronged you and hurt you and maybe they've never even repented. But when you understood that God was with you in that situation and God planned that. It's really hard not to forgive people. I don't know who you need to forgive tonight. Who you're holding a grudge against. Who is bitter in your heart. A brother, a sister, a mother, a father, a friend. When you say God's at work in every situation for good, it does help you to forgive other people. And the second truth is that when you understand that God's in every situation, it gives you perspective. Uh, you might come from the most dysfunctional family. 
with the most disappointments. But God has been at work and with you every step of the way. In chapter 47 of Genesis, in verse 9, when Jacob, when Jacob is talking about his life, he describes his life as a, as a hard life. And you might describe your life as a hard life. Let me just remind you of Jacob's life. I wrote this down. Jacob had a dad who preferred his older brother, a mum who persuaded him to defraud his brother, Jacob was forced to flee, so he never, he never ever saw his mother again. Jacob was tricked by Uncle Laban and spent 20 years hard labor. He was torn apart by quarreling wives. He lost his favorite wife in childbirth. Jacob's daughter was seized and raped. Jacob's sons engaged in revenge, so everyone hated Jacob. Jacob's eldest son, Reuben, took and raped Jacob's maidservant. His other sons plotted to kill Joseph and told him he was dead. His fourth eldest son committed incest and then they lived through famine and fear of starvation. I reckon if Jacob were here tonight, he would say that my life has been a living hell. But God had been with Jacob every step of the way. At work in every situation for good. And maybe that's a simple lesson you need to learn tonight. Stop doubting God's presence with you. Stop thinking God has left you. God is behind you. God is in front of you. God is underneath you. God provides for you. Not sometimes, but all the time. Not in some things, but in all things. So God at work for good in every situation, it brings peace in relationships it brings perspective on your life. And lastly, it reminds you that God does keep his promises. You see, Joseph at the end of Genesis is really very comfortable. He's successful. He is wealthy. He had power. He had prestige. And it would be very easy for Joseph to settle in Egypt, to settle for the wealth and prosperity and stability. It would be easy to forget his hurts, forget his family, away from his family, walk away from God. But Joseph needed to be reminded that Egypt was not home, that heaven was home. The promised land was home. And I reckon God took him to the pits to remind him of just that. You know, one day he had it all, and the next day he lost it all. And I do know people in this world that God's taken them on that journey. Stripped them of everything precious to them. Taken them to the pits. And that was the moment when they would say that they realized that God was with them and God would take them home. You see, when people hurt you, when people harm you, it is a reminder this is a broken world, a hurting world, a groaning world. Uh, maybe like in Romans 8, there are times where you sit there and you go, I just don't know what to pray. And that wonderful truth that in those moments the Spirit is there interceding for you. Remind you that God's at work in every situation making you more like Christ.
and God will take you home. So I don't know what 2015 will hold for you or for me. I do know God is sovereign. I do know God is good. I do know God is with me. And you know that really simple kid song, he's got the whole world in his hand? It's really profound theology. Because God will hold on to you. He holds you in his hand. He'll never let you go. He's at work for good. Let me pray. Father God, we we do confess there are times when we hurt so badly. The pain is so intense. The times we cry out, where are you and what are you doing, God? And why have you done this, God? But in those moments, would you remind us, would you teach us that You're at work in all things, even though people plan to harm us. That you're at work in that too, bringing about your good purposes. Father, as we look back on the year, as we head to a new year, help us to cling on to your sovereignty and your goodness and your presence with us always. In Jesus' precious name.